So I don't know whether you probably most of you are familiar with Palm Sunday. I don't know Some people wave palms around, but we're not going to do that here. Um, okay. So reading from John 12, verse 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So this is the beginning of Passover week. It's a week-long celebration which you know, culminates in, in the Passover meal. And this is the first time that Jesus has allowed himself to be declared publicly as their King and their Messiah. And the Passover, and I probably should read a little passage from Exodus 12. If you wanted to find out more about the Passover, then you know Exodus 12 is the place to go. But I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Uh, verses 12 to 14. Find it. So God has basically <coughs> given this commandment to the children of Israel and this is something that will be, this is 1500 years before Jesus is, is proceeding into Jerusalem, followed by the crowds. So it's actually three and a half thousand years since the first Passover, and this is still going on today. In fact, the, the Jewish people are getting ready to celebrate Passover right now. Anyway, I'll read from, from Exodus just to give you an idea. On that same night, <clears throat> I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So this is, a, is something that they celebrate every year at the same time uh, it usually coincides with our Easter and as we know you know I know that some Jewish Christians in fact many Jewish Christians still celebrate the Passover but we know that that is no longer necessary because our Passover lamb has come unfortunately for many Jews they didn't recognize the Messiah and they're still waiting for him to come. But that is sad for them. But as we read in the, in the scriptures, one day they will 
recognize him. It says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until that time, they're, they're in the dark. So, um, it's interesting to, to consider what kind of people were in the crowd that were following Jesus into Jerusalem. And I think there's probably, there were a few Romans there because they were always on the lookout for trouble. And this is a time when crowds of people are pouring into Jerusalem because of the Passover, because of the temple that is there. Now, it's not the same today, obviously, because the temple was destroyed. There's no more sacrifices. Um, so there will be the Romans looking out for trouble. There will be spies from the Sanhedrin, the rulers uh, of, and the, the high priests and the rulers, and the Pharisees, etc., teachers of the law, because they want Jesus dead. They failed to recognize him for who he is and he is a threat to them. And not only do they want Jesus dead, they also want Lazarus dead because he's a living, walking witness of, of who Jesus is. And so they want to get rid of him. And he will be there amongst the disciples. So the third sort of group of people who will be there are Jesus' followers. And also, as it says in, in the reading, um, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that, his, that he was on his way to Jerusalem. So there were pe- people coming in who may have heard about Jesus. There were people there who witnessed his miracles and there were people there who were following him, his, his own close disciples and people who had seen his miracles. And they were, they were celebrating his declaration publicly that he is their king and their messiah. (coughs) But the thing is, what what did they actually expect this Jesus to be? And and what was he going to do for them? So I'm going to read, because it's quite startling really. I'm going to read uh, a passage um, from it's Okay, I've got to find it now, sorry. Yes, yeah, from um, Luke 18, verse 31 to 34. Now, when I read this, I've read it many times before. I didn't actually, it did quite startle me as well because I hadn't really copped on one of the things that Jesus says to his disciples. 31 to 34. Okay. It's, it, the title in my Bible anyway is Jesus again predicts his death. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. It goes on to say, The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know 
what he was talking about, which I found amazing, really, because even though I've read it before, it's, it's like they were shrugging their shoulders, saying, what's he, what's he talking about? But he said it so many times. So many times he has told that his close friends, the disciples, what was going to happen. And I, I don't know if you remember when, when Jesus was asking the disciples who, who the people were saying he was. And they said, well, some are saying Elijah, some are saying whoever. And Jesus said, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus went on to say, well, that, you didn't get that from just your own understanding, Peter. That was a revelation from God. And just after that, when Jesus again predicts his death, Peter says, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him. Now, Jesus had to rebuke Peter several times. and I have a lot of sympathy for him. The great thing is that after his resurrection, Jesus restored Peter. And we can have so much misunderstanding and so much difficulty in understanding the scriptures and so many times we fail Jesus but what we do know is that you know he's not rejecting us he will never reject us and if we read you know after he rose and he appeared to the disciples he restored Peter you know and Peter went on to be a great person in, in the church and you know he went on to found churches himself and write letters that we read today. So, um, so the expectations. I wanted to read from Psalm 118 because it's quite interesting. And this is the thing that they were shouting in praise um, to Jesus when he was on the donkey. And that's, by the way, you know, that is a direct prophecy from Zechariah who was speaking about the Messiah. And here they are, you know, here it is now. And it's a fulfillment of prophecy, which is what Jesus did. He fulfilled so many prophecies. And the Passover, for example, is, is, is one of the biggest sort of signposts to Jesus that he, you know, we won't need a and to do this feast any, any longer after Jesus has appeared because he is our Passover lamb. So in Psalm 118, verses 26, sorry, 25 to 27, it says, <coughs> O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's what is quoted in, in the passage. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festival, festival procession up to the horns of the altar. And there's the, that hint of what is going to happen to Jesus. That the people who were following him knew nothing about that he was the lamb, he was the sacrifice. And actually, when it says, O Lord, save us, the literal mean, the, the meaning, I think, in, in, in the Hebrew and the Greek translated, is the word is Hosanna. It means, We beseech you. 
This is what they're crying out. Save us. But what they're actually hoping for, and I think that includes the disciples, is that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom and get rid of the Romans, overthrow their rule. But that is not what happened. And we have the privilege, I suppose, of knowing exactly what happened because the disciples, they didn't know. When this was going on, nobody knew. Even though Jesus had specifically said so clearly to the disciples what was going to happen, they didn't get it. It just didn't sink in. And you know, we are no different from them. We're certainly not better than them. So there's a lot of things we don't understand. There's <coughs> a lot of things that pass us by. It just don't, you know, I, there's sometimes I, I read scriptures and I might have read them a hundred times and suddenly God will show them, will open them up to me. And so we, we can't be too critical of, of the disciples because Jesus did, un, you know, specifically say what was going to happen to him, but it didn't sink in. They couldn't cope with that. They just didn't understand it. And actually it says that, you know, God kept it from them. He kept it hidden from them. And any of you remember when the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and Mary at the tomb, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were walking with Jesus, but they were kept from recognizing him until he broke the bread. And then they said, you know, didn't our hearts burn within us as Jesus was talking to us and opening up the scriptures and showing everything that had to happen from the, from the prophets, from, from the Psalms, the Messianic Psalms, from Moses. And, you know, their eyes were opened when Jesus opened, when Jesus broke the bread. And for, for in Mary, oh thanks, Jason, I actually have some water here. You can probably tell from my voice it's getting a bit of a dry mouth here. Yeah, when Mary, <coughs> after, when she goes to anoint Jesus, and she finds the tomb empty, and she's talking to who she thinks is the gardener, and uh, she's asking where have they put, where have they laid him, you know, where's he gone? And then the gardener, who is Jesus, says her name. And I, I found that a beautiful uh, sort of way of, of describing and, and how Jesus opens her eyes that she can see who he is. And he, she falls on to the ground and cries out, Rabboni, which means teacher. You know, it's a beautiful... It's one of my favourite bits of writing, actually. You know, it's lovely. Anyway, so, to go on from the procession, and with all the expectations that people have, which are going to be, not going to be fulfilled, because Jesus is going to, to die, and he's going to rise again. That was nothing, that was not anything anybody imagined or expected. They wanted to overthrow the Romans. That was, a, that was what they thought he was there for. Like he was like another Moses or Elijah or whoever. Somebody was going to be, uh, to, to probably violently overthrow. This is what they hoped and expected. They were not expecting Jesus, their Messiah. First of all, he didn't know, really understand, apart from the disciples maybe, had a glimpse and an understanding that this is God and that he would die. It seemed it seemed beyond, the, it was beyond their comprehension. 
to think that God himself would come down and save them and would die. It, was, it was, wasn't something they could grasp at all. Anyway, this, so he's going down to Jerusalem. The people of the crowds are following him and he stops at probably the Mount of Olives and he pronounces judgments then. Not exactly a judgment, but he weeps over Jerusalem. Standing at the Mount of Olives where so much happens on the Mount of Olives, there's the Garden of Gethsemane. They're there with his, he's there with his disciples when he speaks about the end of the world, you know, about how things are going to turn out, how the temple is going to be destroyed, etc., etc. But he, he, he halts at the Mount of Olives, looking over to the east wall of the walled city, where the Golden Gate is, where he's, by tradition, I think he's going to, when he comes back, he's going to pass through this gate. It's walled up at the moment. And he, he weeps over it. He says, um, hang on, I'll find that somewhere. Sorry about this, my notes. Hmm. Oh, yeah. It's from Luke 19, verse 41 to 44. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And that is, it's very sad. It was very sad for for Jesus. These were his people, the chosen people, and they rejected him. And he's weeping over the city and he's seeing into the future. And if if you know anything about the history of the Jews, they've had a hard time of it. In every country where they've been scattered, they've, they've been persecuted. And of course, the Holocaust, 1948, they brought back into their homelands. But that's a whole history of suffering and pain and loss. And then we have Jesus, when he goes to, into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. This is when he cleanses the temple because he sees the corruption in the temple. So things haven't changed much at all, you know. These are the religious leaders and they are basically ripping off people because, you know, the the people who are coming in from all over uh, from all over Israel and from the surrounding countries are coming in to the the temple to buy their animals for sacrifice. The money changes. They're basically ripping them off. And Jesus, and this is the place which is known as the court of the Gentiles, where, you know, the Jews are meant to be witnesses for God. And here they are, you know, giving a very bad witness indeed. You know, and we, we, we can see that that happens today, of course. And then he curses the fig tree. And the fig tree is symbolic. I'll probably just read that, actually. And this is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And... Why does he, why does Jesus curse the fig tree? 
Because he comes across it. Now, it's, it's interesting. He comes across the tree. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. Now this was not a time of year, apparently, when anybody would expect figs. So it was a symbolic curse. You know? And this is the first time that Jesus really... He's usually blessing people. He's not judging, but he's, he's now... He, this is a judgment. He's judging the, the people of, of Israel for, for rejecting him. You know, he knows... Now, obviously, not everyone, but generally the nation. And then finally, the nation curses it itself. And that is found in Matthew 27, verse 25. This is, the, this is when he is with Pilate and the Pharisees have in, incited the Jews to demand Barabbas be released and not Jesus, even though Pilate is trying to get them to release Jesus, because I find no no wrong in this man. But uh, this is what they say. Sorry. Okay. This is just when they are asking for Barabbas to be released. And they say, all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. So he's basically, they are basically cursing themselves. But anyway, so what I wanted to look at just in the last part of this message is because you know, Jesus represents a completely different kingdom with completely different principles. It's not, the, it's not the kingdom that anyone has ever heard of or expected before. Now, Jesus has hinted and re- revealed what he, the kingdom is in the parables, uh, in, in his teaching, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, what kind of people are going to be in this kingdom, the weak, the poor, the repentance, the people who are being persecuted for his, for his name, for his sake. And he's, he uses lots of analogies and similes and metaphors. He calls you know, the kingdom like a pearl, like a seed, uh, like uh, a mustard seed. He uses, anyway, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about in the parables. And um, one of them is to do with so the shortest one, the leaven and the dough, leaven representing yeast and how a little bit of leaven, this woman who's mixing up to make bread, she puts a little bit of yeast, a tiny bit of yeast, in this large amount of flour and invisibly it begins to grow. It's not visible. So that's representing the kingdom. It's representing how the kingdom will grow numerically and also he's talking to us about how the kingdom is going to grow within us. And he's also said, 
about the kingdom because of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew that um, it's within us you know and it's not of this world so it's a complete he's been talking about this all the time trying to get his disciples ready to understand what kind of a place this is that we become citizens of when we turn to Jesus we're no longer citizens of the world we are citizens of heaven um, anyway I'll, I'll just read because um, what Jesus says which is representative of what is coming really for, for us and what he expects let's find it yeah John 12 verse 20 to 26 this is just before actually the procession the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and it's, it's, it's like he's telling people he's telling his disciples and the people who are listening to him what is meant by the kingdom and what is, what is expected of us and what is going to happen to him uh, okay Sorry, I'm a bit... Yeah. Now, Jesus replied, the hour has come. This is just... Actually, sorry, this is just after after the account of the triumphal entry into, into Jerusalem. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. This is Jesus talking about He's talking about himself. He's also talking about us, what, what he expects of us and what he expects people in the kingdom, these principles relating to, to dying to self. And <clears throat> Jesus also said, of course, you know, before that, if anyone would come after me, he must desert, deny himself, take up his cross, daily and follow me and that's you know what we are called upon to do and it's it's not easy this whole journey that we take with God um, isn't an easy isn't an easy path it's a narrow path and few find it as Jesus said you know few few are walking on it you know we are in a minority but we are privileged to be in this kingdom of God and you know when we get saved you know we have what we have an, a, a fallen nature a sinful nature when we get when we are born again we get receive a, a new nature but we also have our old nature and it's like there's two kingdoms waging war within us and it's, it's there in the world as well. The, the, these kingdoms are clashing and there is this constant conflict. And as John the Baptist said, you know, his principle was, 
after he accomplished his mission of pointing the way, of, of, of preparing the way for Jesus, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. And that's a fundamental principle of the kingdom. And it's, it's, it really isn't easy, is it? I mean, we all know that. It's a, there's a conflict you know, the things that, that we want, the things that we desire, the things that um, we want to, to fulfill sometimes are sinful desires, but we have the Holy Spirit within us who helps us to overcome that. And as we do that, as we, and this is the process of sanctification, we are safe, we are secure. Our sins were judged in Christ. We've been redeemed. And now we're here. Why, you wonder? Well, we're here to glorify God. And we do that through decreasing. The self decreases and God increases. And that's Jesus increases. Because that's what the principle is. That whilst we're here on this earth, we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. And it's, it's not an easy journey. And, you know, just like the disciples... They didn't understand, and sometimes we don't understand, and sometimes we fail, and sometimes we fall. And like Peter, God restores us. You know, Jesus was rejected on the cross by his Father in heaven because he was, God was judging our sin in Christ. And that was, that was the agony of Gethsemane. Why Jesus wanted, he couldn't, you know, he was afraid, I believe. He was, in, he was being very human. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was crying out to God, that this, if it's possible that I can avoid this suffering, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that's, um, before I, I mean, I'm, I'm nearly finished, so don't worry, but I'm going to, just another way that Jesus illustrated how we should be in this world as, as members and citizens of the kingdom of heaven he did something extraordinary for the disciples this is at the last supper and it's extraordinary because what he did was something only slaves did I won't read it because it's quite a long passage but it's when he washes the disciples feet now it's not, it's not meant for us to interpret that literally, but it, it's about how we are to serve one another and how we are to love one another and it's sacrificial and it's not about being, you know, top dog. You know, it's not about, um, I think before, before, I don't know if you remember, um, James and John, in one account, they get their mother to ask Jesus if they could have you know, the right seat and the left seat beside, beside him in his new kingdom. And basically Jesus rebukes them. Because this is what they're expecting. They're expecting Jesus to set up this new kingdom. And the Romans will be gone and they'll have their places in the kingdom. Actually, I think I should read that because it's, it's quite important. It's in Mark 10 verses 35 to 45. Mm. Sorry. 
Yeah, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. They were very confident, you know. They didn't actually understand very much about what Jesus was going to have to go through. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. That's referring to what will happen later. Every single one of the disciples died for their faith except for John. He was exiled on, on the island of Patmos. But they all suffered for Christ. So this is what Jesus is referring to when he says that. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when the ten heard this, the other disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is again, Jesus describing what kind of a kingdom he is setting up. It's not about being first, it's about service, it's about sacrifice. Fundamentally, love is defined by Jesus on the cross. It's about sacrifice. And of course they didn't, they had no idea what was going to happen, but, um, anyway, to, to go on. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to wrap up soon. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's really hard being Christian. It's not easy. It, it, it really is not easy. It's a long journey. The journey ends when we die and we'll, we'll see Jesus. We'll be like him. At the moment we are being made like him. And we fail all the time, just like the disciples. We fail, we fall. But, you know, we're not rejected. That's the one thing we don't need to experience. We might feel it, but we're not. You know, that punishment that brought us peace was laid on Jesus at the cross. And the whole journey of our lives since we became Christians is, is about that path of service, of sacrifice, of and as that kingdom in us, just like the leaven in the in the dough is rising, you know, and just like John the Baptist said, this is how it's meant to be. We are decreasing, and Jesus is increasing. God is, and that is how we glorify God. Just just that process, and how we are witnesses, how we are salt and light in the world by by following these principles. You know, with, with, the, with the help of God, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, who is another Jesus. And you look, he, he, he will n- never leave us. Unlike the disciples, actually, and Jesus 
sometimes went off on his own and they were left. But the Holy Spirit never leaves us. He's always with us. So I wanted to end just by linking everything uh, back to this procession. Um, and it's a vision that John, uh, the Apostle, had on the island of Patmos. And this is in the book of Revelation. And this, this represents our future and the future of all those who have trusted in Jesus. And it's a promise. And it's something that we can hold on to with absolute certainty and making everything, all the suffering and the difficulties and the problems that we face in this, in this life worthwhile. If you keep hold of this vision, you know, as Jesus said, keep your, or some just Paul maybe, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay, so I'll read from Revelation. Um, Revelation, it's Revelation 7. It's, 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 I hope it will inspire you. Um, now, Revelation is a difficult book. You know, it's, it's, it, you know the, the disciples didn't have anything written down that we have in the New Testament. And we have everything written down that God is going to give to us in terms of his word, which is his letter to us. But in the book of Revelation, there's things that haven't happened yet. So just like the disciples, we don't really understand. There's things in it that are very hard to understand. And a lot of it is quite uh, troubling, if you read it. But anyway, this, isn't, this is not troubling, this bit I'm going to read to you. Uh, it's... Sorry... 7, verse 9 to 10. It's called the great multitude in white robes. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of him and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So, what do we do in the meantime? This is the vision that we have of where we, will, we are going. This is heaven. That's where we, that's our destiny. And when we die, we'll be with Jesus and we'll be like him. So what do we do in, in the meantime? Walking in this world, you know, the world that is under the dominion of Satan, but we are citizens of heaven, we represent Jesus, we're salt and light, all we can do is just carry on. We just carry on and persevere. So I'm just going to finish, I know I said I was going to finish the Revelation, but just a verse from James, uh, James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So that's the meantime. That's what we do. We just keep going. You know, even when we feel like giving up, even when we have fallen and feel ashamed, but God is always there, you know, to pick us up, pull us up. 
and restore us just like he did with Peter.